Hi, I'm Dan, and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you, no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. We're in the fifth part of our fall campaign that we've called Project Mercy. Today I want to talk about how God wants us to respond to people who um, are against us, people who who stand against us, people who we might even think of in terms of being our enemies. But before I get into that, let me just ask you, uh, have, ha has this uh, series on mercy had an effect upon you at all? And I'm not asking for any testimonies right now, but I'm just wondering uh, if it's affecting you, because I will tell you, it has definitely had an impact on me. Of course, I'm the one who's preparing the messages, and I'm thinking about it a lot, and we go to our small group on Sunday nights, the group that Carrie and I go to. It's just wonderful. We've enjoyed it so much, and, and everybody's just engaging so much about the topic of mercy and how it needs to be played out in their lives, and that's what I'm, I'm experiencing my Myself. It seems like because we're studying it so much and we're talking about it so much that I'm much more aware, consciously aware of being a merciful person and responding in mercy when maybe before I wasn't thinking about it quite as much as I did. And so I've thought about how I need to respond in mercy and I've also thought about on the other side times when I didn't respond in mercy and I said, oh, nuts, I I wish I would have. God help me to do a better job uh, next time something like that comes up. And I think that being aware of, of opportunities to show mercy ahead of time is actually a good thing because it helps you to get a mindset that says, you know, I, I kind of know what's coming. You know, I'm going to go to see the family for Thanksgiving. I know what's coming. So God, give me great mercy. I don't know, maybe that was a lousy example. But at, at any rate, something like that, or maybe more practically, you, you know that you're going to be in rush hour traffic on Monday morning, you know, or Monday evening coming home. When you know it ahead of time, and you know you will be, you can ask for God to give you grace to be a more merciful person because you know you're going to be in a context where it's going to be very easy to lose your cool and to not be merciful. When you think about it ahead of time, it can be a great benefit to then being prepared for the situation. You can't always premeditate every situation because some of them come kind of at the spur of the moment. But some situations you know you're going to be in, you know they're going to be there, and if you think about it ahead of time, it can be a way for you to be prepared to be merciful when maybe your human inclination would be to not be merciful at that particular time. Well, this is what Jesus said. I always like to know what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, he says, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And so the truth, obviously, is here is that mercy is something we get when we give it. So if you think there might be any time in your life that you will need mercy... You better be a person who gives mercy because the mercy that you, you give out doesn't always pay you back immediately. Sometimes the mercy will show up weeks or even maybe months later on when you weren't even thinking about it, but because of the seed of mercy, if you will, that you planted in your life 
previously, it's now producing a harvest of mercy back into your life. And so he says, if you are merciful, you will get mercy. I think the opposite of that would also be true. If you don't give mercy, you will probably not get mercy when you hope to get it. So it's something that we need to look real carefully at. So let's define again what mercy is. We've talked about this through these weeks. And we've defined mercy as, first of all, undeserved forgiveness, and then secondly, unearned kindness. And so those are real important words. All of them are. Uh, Undeserved, that means it's something that we don't deserve. It's God's grace. It's God's mercy given to us, even though we don't deserve it. And unearned, it means you can't earn it. That's why it's unearned. You can't do enough to be worthy of receiving this kind of kindness. And that's what mercy actually is. And so when you think about it in terms of relationship with God, mercy is a gift that God gives simply because he has decided out of his love to offer forgiveness to us, to offer kindness to us instead of judgment, instead of condemnation. He has chosen to give us forgiveness and kindness. And he gives it to us freely. It doesn't cost you any money. Yeah, we took an offering a moment ago, but that's not in order to earn the right to get mercy. We do that out of love. It's an act of worship, just like singing is an act of worship or giving is an act of worship and acknowledges God's ownership on our lives. But mercy is something we can't earn. It's not something that we can buy. God gives it to us freely, but there is a requirement on our part to receiving mercy. You know what the requirement is? You've got to receive it. You've got to accept it. In other words, God's mercy will not be forced into your life. You've got to be willing for it to come into your life for you to receive it. God's mercy will not just automatically flow out of you. You've got to be willing for that mercy to go out of you to touch other people's lives. Now, I I was thinking about this when I read a a headline this past week that was very intriguing to me. Did you know that that there are millions of Americans who are leaving billions of dollars on the table, so to speak, simply because they don't know that that money is there for them? And I'm not talking about government money. I'm talking about money from all kinds of different sources, sometimes inheritance money. All kinds of different, uh, different places, money is, is there. This is the, the uh, headline I read last week. Millions of Americans are missing out on billions in forgotten cash. Currently, states, federal agencies, and other organizations collectively hold more than, get this, $58 billion in unclaimed cash and benefits. That's roughly $186 for every U.S. resident. I would take $186, bucks, would not you? You know? Now, this is real. This is absolutely real. In fact, uh, the way I became aware of it was a few years ago, our secretary at the time, who's now moved to a different state, but at the time, she said, are you familiar with this? I said, had no idea about it. So she went on unclaimedmoneydiscovery.com, which is a real website, and she uh, typed my name in there, and she got me 50 bucks. (laughs) Absolutely, got me 50 bucks out of that. Unfortunately, I forgot to tell Carrie about it. So I'm not sure what I spent the $50 on, but don't remember anymore. But I had money on there. I had no idea, and I don't even remember now where it came from. But this is a very real thing. So I, this is a full-service church. 
So we're giving you uh, this uh, website here. Go on there and check it out for yourself and see if you're one of the millions of people that has some money out there. That, that, uh, and, and go on it periodically. That's, you know, not just once, go on it periodically. You never know when some might pop up for you. Now you say, why in the world would you bring that up? Well, I want to share from this example a spiritual point with you. And it's this. God's mercy is a lot like unclaimed money. God's mercy is a lot like that because there are billions of of people all over, just like there's billions of dollars that's left on the table unclaimed, there are billions of people who will miss out on the mercy of God even though it's available to them. It's there. All they have to do is claim it. All they have to do is want it. All they have to do is receive it. His mercy, though, is unclaimed in their lives, and they'll never know what it can mean to experience undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. They'll never know that in their lifetime simply because they've not received it, because they've not accepted it. And that's why we have such a burden as a church to take this message out into the lives of everyone who will receive it, everyone who will hear it, that God's mercy is for everyone. It's not just for a select few. It's for you and you and you and you and every person in here and every person out there in the world. If they will receive it, they can. There's no qualification. It's simply receiving the mercy of God through the person of Jesus Christ. And when you make him Savior and Lord of your life, the mercy of God comes into your life. But, okay, that's God's mercy being extended to us. But mercy is more than what God gives to us. Mercy is also an act that we are to give to other people in our lives. And just in thinking about it, there is is no more challenging group of people to give mercy to than people who treat you bad and people who come against you, then people who falsely accuse you, then, 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 then people who try to kill your reputation and talk about you and gossip about you, uh, then people who you might just consider outright your enemy. They are against you. It is tough to be merciful to people like that. But this is what Jesus, again, this is what Jesus said, Our reaction is to be to people like that. Luke chapter 6, verses 27, 28. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. Ouch. I have not always done that. Maybe you have, but I haven't. I have blown it at times. I haven't always loved people that hated me. My own insecurities have caused me to react negatively to people like that. I haven't always prayed for those who hurt me. In fact, one of the things that I have learned through the years that if I'm going to love my enemies and do good to those who hate me and bless those who curse me, I've got to first of all pray for those who hurt me. It's in prayer that God changes your heart. Prayer changes you and gives you the ability to love people, to bless people, to to, um, do good to people that you would not normally want to do good to. 
It's as you learn to pray that God changes you into a different person. But it's interesting to me here in, in this verse that Jesus starts out saying, but to you who are willing to listen. Do I have a bunch of willing listeners out here today? You know, Really what this is, it's, it's, it's a measure of your heart. That's why I underlined those words. It's a measure of your soul. The truth is, God's word is sometimes hard. God's word is not always touchy-feely. We live in a very touchy-feely time in America today. We have to always worry about how everybody's going to feel. God doesn't care how you feel. He tells you the truth. Now, he wants you to be set free and feel good in being set free. But if you embrace that which is not true, he's not going to change the truth to embrace the, what, what you want to believe. The truth is, sometimes God's word is tough. Do you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes it challenges, just like the scripture we just read, that we're to love people who hate us. That's not easy to do, and that's a challenging word to us. So sometimes God's word is hard to hear, and it challenges us to the core. And these are times that reveal what our true spirit is. Because I just want to be honest with you, the longer you serve God, it becomes easy to learn how to be spiritual. Let's just lay the cards on the table here and be honest. We can learn how to act spiritual in front of one another and yet still have a heart that's not right. We learn how to, to perform spiritually so that others are impressed but not really have a heart that's fully surrendered or committed to God. In fact, many of the Old Testament prophets really nailed God's people in the Old Testament about this very thing. I was thinking about what Isaiah 29, 13 says. Here's God speaking. The Lord says, These people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, what they say, but their hearts are far from me, and they wor their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules and learning by rote. And so what you have is people who are, uh, they're religious people. We can learn how to be religious, right? We can learn how to do the religious thing and make it look really good, but God says our hearts may be far from him, and we don't have a kind of a spirit in us that really is fully devoted back to God. So that's why Jesus is saying there, back in Luke chapter 6, those of you who are willing to listen, those of you who have a heart to really follow God's will for your life, this is what I want you to, to do. This is the way you got to live. You got to love your enemies. You got to do good to those who hate you. You got to bless those who curse you and pray for those who hurt you. In other words, I want my people to be merciful to the world that is around them, merciful to other people, even to their enemies. So, thinking about that, I wanted to just share with you three observations that I have made uh, in my life about God working in mercy through us towards people who don't like us and towards people who may even hate us. First of all, if you follow Jesus, I want you to know you're gonna make enemies. Now, you may not like to hear that, but it is simply God's word. It's the truth. If you're a fully committed follower of Jesus, you will have opposition from the world. You can't stop it from happening. You can't prevent it. It's part of the price of following Jesus. And the reality is we haven't faced a ton of that in America. We prayed for the persecuted church. We haven't seen a, 
a lot of, of, of American Christians and the Western world Christians being persecuted like that. But it is happening all over the world and it's happening with growing frequency because the anger of, of Satan is stirring up in the hearts of people against the people of God. In the scriptures, Jesus himself used two very interesting words to kind of identify, describe, or define those who follow him. One word, you'll know it, is the word salt. And we see it in Matthew 5.13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Another word he uses to define us is the word light. And in verse 14 then, he goes on and says, and you are the light of the world. So you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. Now here's two things that I know about salt and light. First of all, sometimes salt stings. You get salt in an open wound or get it in your eye, you're going to feel the burn. You're going to feel the burn, and I'm not talking about Bernie Sanders. I'm talking, you're going to feel the burn in your body, you know. It will burn. And secondly, the second thing I understand about it is that light exposes what people often want kept in darkness. What they want unseen, what they want kept hidden. Light will sometimes expose that. So whether the light within you exposes darkness that people don't want exposed, or whether the salt of your testimony stings the conscience of people who are living in sin, we can end up creating enemies who don't want their darkness exposed, don't want their conscience stung. And so they choose to come against us because of that. And you hear it all the time in our culture today. Here it is. Don't judge me. What right do you have to judge me? You may not be saying anything to anybody, but just simply by the way you're living your life, you're living it as one set apart for God, and the light that's coming out of you, the salt that's being distributed out of the testimony of your life is stinging people where they don't want to be stung, and it's revealing hidden secrets that they don't want revealed. And it's bringing out of them a negative reaction oftentimes. It can be as minor as they just avoid us. They just don't want to talk. They just don't want to be around us. So they, they avoid it. It can be that. Or it can be rejecting us. That's a little harder. We feel it. It hurts. It's not physically painful, but it can be emotionally painful to be rejected. Or insulting. You know, they can start using their words. You know, sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but words will never harm me or however that goes. That's just not true. You know, the inner hurts can sometimes be a whole lot worse, right? And so, and so we feel that, the, the insult, or it can even be physical abuse coming against us. Again, we go back to what we prayed about, praying for the persecuted church that's being crucified on crosses and beheaded and all kinds of things. These are very real people, very real experiences that are, they're not just stories, it's real, and it's going on. And we see that happening, and, and what happened in Texas last Sunday, this is all coming from people who hate the message of love. But they hate what comes with it, which is, which is the salt and the light of purity that God expects out of his people, and they don't like that. Now, it's possible that maybe some of you think that, well, if you're really, truly a believer, you would never have enemies. 
You should never have enemies. Wouldn't that be nice? But Jesus had them. I think he was fairly spiritual. And he said in John 15, verses 18 through 20, if the world hates you, remember, it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master since they persecuted me, the, nat- the master. Naturally, they're going to persecute you, the servant. Listen to what God said through the Apostle Paul about this in Philippians chapter 1. You have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. I never really thought about suffering. I never ranked it up there as a privilege, you know. But Paul says it's the privilege of suffering Man, when you read the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, you see them rejoicing over the privilege that they, they wore it as a badge of honor, that they were sacrificed, that they were suffering for Christ. And then Paul goes on and says, 2 Timothy 3, 12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer. He tells us how we'll suffer here, persecution. Persecution comes. So Paul is not talking in these verses about suffering in your body from a disease or from sickness or from old age or whatever. He's talking about suffering from other people because of your faith in Christ. And it's because if you follow Jesus, you're going to have enemies. You will. Now, some of us sometimes act in a way that we create more enemies than we should, but that's another sermon. But no matter how good you act, some people are not going to like you if you follow Jesus. Number two, next observation. You can choose mercy to respond to your enemies. And I say choose because mercy is not an emotion. It's a deliberate choice. And here's the thing. I want you to get this. We are most like Christ when we choose to extend mercy towards people who don't deserve it. Because mercy is something that was given to us and we didn't deserve it. And now he is telling us, to, and, and it's kindness that we didn't earn. And now he's telling us that we're to give mercy to others. I was talking to a sister in our church just this past week who has a very close friend who is also very close to a number of the people at First Baptist Church in, in Sutherland Springs, Texas. And this is what he said to her and she relayed to me. He said, you wouldn't believe the love these people have toward the man who did this unthinkable thing. There is no bitterness in them at all. Now, I, you know, I can't speak to that because I don't know. That's just what he said. That's his observation about how these folks are responding. Kind of reminds me of when an Amish school was hit a few years ago back in Pennsylvania. Some of you might remember an individual with a gun went in and killed many children in a predominantly Amish school. And how the Amish folks responded to that man. It was incredible um, the grace and the mercy that they extended to him having just lost their children. That only comes from the power of the Spirit of God within his people extending mercy. That's mercy in action. And there are going to be a lot of tears and there's going to be a lot of sorrow and pain in Texas, especially as they lay these these individuals to rest over this next week. But 
they, that you don't have to allow your pain and your hurt to grow into bitterness. And that's the deal. So just as Christ's mercy forgives us when we don't deserve it, so he's calling us to give the same to people who belittle us, ignore us, or maybe abuse us, or hate us, or even kill us. In Luke chapter 6, verse 27 through 31, Jesus makes this whole aspect of mercy very practical. This is what he says we're to do, and I want you to write these down in your notes. Seven different ways we're to respond in mercy. Number one, we're to love our enemies. Verse number 27. Secondly, number two, we're to do good to those who hate us. So you don't return the hate with hate. The foul speech with the foul speech. You love people and you do good. Also in verse 27. Number three, we are to bless those who curse us. Sometimes the blessing doesn't happen right at the moment. What happens right at the moment is you keep your mouth shut. And then later in prayer, you pray a prayer blessing over those people. You bless your enemies. Have you ever blessed your, have you ever thought to bless the terrorists that are killing innocent people all around the world? Have you ever taken time to pray a prayer of blessing over them? And what I mean by that, a transformation of their heart that they might come to know Jesus as their Savior and be changed people? That's what we do. Number five, we won't, we're not to retaliate. He says we're to turn the other cheek. Verse number 29. Number six, we're to give freely. So if your enemy asks you for your coat, give them your cloak also. You give more than what's being required of you. Also in verse 29. And then number seven, Jesus says, we'll treat others the way we would want to be treated. In verse 31. And so this is, this is the measure, these are the responses of people who are becoming more like Christ. And so sometimes we have this tendency to look at people and if they talk a certain way and act a certain way, oh, they must be really spiritual. But that's not how God sees it. God, the measure of your spirituality and my spirituality is not how, how I act at church all the time, although that's part of it. But it's how am I acting out there? It's not just what is God doing, uh, what, I, what am I allowing to do through me in, act, in actions, that's important, but also what am I allowing him to do in me? What kind of a change is taking place? When God's spirit is really in control of our lives, that's when we'll respond to hateful people with the love of Christ. That won't come from the human nature. That won't come from the sinful nature. It'll come only from the love of Christ. I remember David Wilkerson, who, who's the man who, who created the whole thing called Teen Challenge, which is the most uh, successful drug uh, addiction change program in, in the world that's ever been created. The, the, the help rate, the change rate the, it is so incredible in the people's lives that have gone through Teen Challenge. But when he first started it, he was just a skinny little young preacher from Western Pennsylvania, he didn't know how to deal with drug and, uh, people. He, he, was, he was in rural Pennsylvania, and God touches his heart from a magazine article, and he goes in and, and, and he starts ministry in inner city New York. I mean, I'd be scared to death to do that. And this little guy goes in there, and he starts ministering 
to people, and God puts him in contact with one of the worst gang leaders in all of, of New York City, the New York area, a man by the name of Nicky Cruz, who was the gang leader of a gang by the name of the Mau Mau's. And they were violent. They, I mean, they were, they were everything that you could think of. That's what they were. And so God puts Nicky Cruz and David Wilkerson in contact with one another. And, and Cruz, of course, yeah, he's this macho guy. He's pushing him away, and I don't want any of your stuff, your God, and all this. But one day when Wilkerson was witnessing to Cruz, Cruz got under so much conviction that he told Wilkerson, if you don't shut up and leave me alone, I'm going to cut you up into a thousand pieces. And he had the switchblade right there to do it. And Wilkerson responded to him incredibly. He said, if you do, every piece will shout out to you, God loves you. Well, Cruz ran away from that exchange. The love of God was stronger than the violence in his heart. But within a period of time, Nicky Cruz surrendered his heart and his life to Jesus Christ and from that moment on became one of the most powerful witnesses and evangelists for the Lord Jesus Christ and is still today ministering, well into his 70s, still ministering for the glory of God around the world. Now, I said earlier that following Christ will create enemies. That is true, but this is what I want you to see. When you respond in mercy towards your enemies, Many of those people will see the Jesus within you and they'll be drawn to what is inside of you and they'll want desperately what you have because you, you may be living a different kind of life that seems impossible, but you've got a peace, you've got a joy, you've got a, you've got a comfort inside your heart that they desperately want in the desperate times that we live in today. What I'm saying to you is that God can use you as you give mercy it, to people who don't deserve it, he can use you to bring a transformation into their life. So choose mercy. Choose mercy. Which brings me to the last thought. I got one minute. How many of you believe I can do it in one minute? <laughs> Wishful thinkers. Number three, mercy brings great reward. So going down here in Luke chapter 6, there's a verse that I shared last week, and I want to look at it again. It's verse number 38. A lot of you know this verse well. Jesus said, give and you will receive. The gift, you return will, the gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, uh, to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. For the amount you give will determine the amount you will get back. And you've heard a lot of sermons from that verse with regards to giving financially to God, and that is absolutely true. But I want, I want to repeat something I said to you last week. I said this. If you interpret that to mean only money, you're missing the point. Jesus is saying whatever you give will come pouring back into your life. Now that's obvious when you look at the context. So let's go up one verse. Verse number 37. This is what Jesus says before he says the other. Do not judge and you won't be judged. Do not condemn or it'll come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. So you have two negatives and a positive there. And what he is saying is, if you give judgment, it's going to come pouring back into your life. If you give condemnation to others, it's going to come pouring back into your life, pressed down, shaking together, full and running over. If you give forgiveness, that will come pouring back into your life. That's what changes and transforms your life. Whatever you give, 
will come back to you and usually in greater proportion than what was given, what you gave out. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Galatians 6 verse 7. He said, don't be under any illusion. You cannot make a fool of God. A man's harvest in life will depend entirely on what he sows. We reap what we sow. And so this principle is so overarching into our lives. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way before, but this is true. You are today what you were, what the seed that you have planted yesterday. The seed that you, and I don't necessarily just mean yesterday, but I'm talking about in your past, is producing what you are today. And what you will be tomorrow will be the, the end result of what you produce or what you sow into your life up to that point. That'll start producing a harvest within your life. Now, that's not all bad. Certainly, if, if, you've, if you've given yourself over to sin, that can produce terrible consequences. But what I want you to see here is that it's not just a bad thing. You, you give yourself, you start sowing into your life the good things of God, the spirit of God, the control of God, the word of God. You start sowing that into your life and God starts blessing you in abundance in ways you never thought could happen. Hallelujah. You can be a victor in your life over things that you thought would never happen in your life. It's because of the blessings of God. So I want to leave you with two principles here out of Luke chapter six. Number one, treat others the way you want to be treated. Do unto others the way you want to be done to you. Verse number 31. And then secondly, live like your Father in heaven would have you live. Be an example of your Father in heaven. Verse number 36. And notice what he identifies here, mercy. Be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. And what will happen is that the blessings of God will begin to be poured out in your life in abundance because of this. And you'll start seeing it over and over and over and over and over again. So let me close today by asking you this. Who are you fighting? Who are you fighting with? Is it your spouse? Well, you don't know how he is. No, I don't. You don't know what she's like. No, I don't. Is it your kids? You don't know what they're like. <laughs> I'm so glad we're not raising our children anymore. <laughs> we're past that. It's wonderful. I just say that to give you encouragement. If you're getting really discouraged, there is hope out there. There's a light. You know, there's a light. This too shall pass. But right now, maybe it's dark. There's dark stuff in your, house, in your home. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's your boss. I don't know. The enemy wants us to get so focused on that stuff, and it's so easy to get focused on it because it just jumps up in your face and it screams at you. Maybe you're just angry in life. You're angry at everybody. You're angry at me for preaching about this. You're angry at the people sitting down the road from you. You don't even know them. You, you get out on the highway and you're just an angry driver. You know? I've been behind some of you, I know. 
I was behind Sid the other day. No, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm just kidding. You see what I'm saying, though? We have a culture today of anger. And I mean, it's just, it's a spirit. It's not just a culture, it's a spirit. It's the enemy will kick God away. The, Satan's coming and filling in the void. But we don't have to be like that. We can be different people. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.